Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sa, is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. It is on the air now. Welcome back to 755 is Real. And I'm going to read this because Cam wants me to get it right. 755 is Real, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards, the finest baseball cards in the world for the finest podcast. We got a, a where it is the finest podcast today because we got a special guest uh, with Eric continuing to do daddy duties with his third child for maybe another show or two we have uh we have the the pleasure of having my replacement at the ajc on the uh the latest in the long lineage of of grace writers at the ajc gabe burns is with us welcome gabe to the to the fine podcast here thanks for having me dave you do a good job with those reads you got a big shoes to fill with eric yeah. <laughs> i'll try i'll try big shoes to fill um no, this is cool, man. It's a great time for you to come on here because, I mean, as as we've both witnessed, this has been a season that has felt like three seasons maybe, at least two. But you could argue three because there was the, the depths of despair in the first half when you thought, this maybe it's just not their year. And then there's the, okay, Acuna's hurt. Okay, now they're done. They, now, they're, now it can't get any worse, and he's done. And then there was this, they come back from the break, they get Jock Peterson, they, he gives them a little injection and, the, uh, you know, a little boost of energy. And we kind of laugh at the vote trade and go, why? Why did they get vote? They, are they trying to have every 35 to 40-year-old catcher in baseball at one point in the season? Um, both of those work out. And then the big moves, uh, just as they're starting to build a little, they're still going 50. They're still winning, losing, winning, losing, winning. But they make the moves at the trade deadline that I think initially got maybe great Bs from people around the country because Alex, you know, doing getting three outfielders and one reliever when some of us thought they probably should get three relievers and one outfielder. But it turns out the moves he made have all worked. We haven't seen Eddie Rosario yet, but if he does nothing, the moves still worked out great because – Solaire has been really good. Deval's been great for them in the field net plate. And Rich Rodriguez has done exactly what they hoped. I know a lot of people thought he was going to take over closer, but he's done a very good job in the role they're using him in. What have you thought about that assessment of the season and those moves? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. You go back to June 16, they're what? They're 30, 35, and seven and a half games out. So that was their that was kind of the low point as far as games back goes I, you're looking at that you're going you're seven and a half back it's june i mean obviously not insurmountable but it's not looking good especially and you got to win the division we, we know yeah and you have to win the division because we're watching the teams out west roll and now yeah. the red, obviously um and then the acuna injury i think at that point it would have been easy to wave the white flag and just you know obviously we're not winning the world series 
series this year. It's just you look at everything that's gone wrong from Ozuna to the, just everything, and you're going, okay, well, we can punt. They don't do that, and they don't do it because they're only four games back despite yeah. all of that. So next thing you know, it's kind of like what Freddie said last night where it's like we got the reinforcements in, and that's exactly what we needed, and now they're a game and a half up in the division, and the Mets are completely falling apart. And if this continues, it's starting to look like a two-horse race, and the Phillies have an easy schedule, but with the way the Braves are rolling right now, yeah. like, they could easily get this thing. Now I got to say, and this is not uh, retro. This is not revisionist history on my part. I never thought this should have been sellers, just because the division was so mediocre. And I yeah. was of the school of, okay, you're not. Maybe you're not going to win the World Series. Maybe your team's not good enough to beat the Dodgers, or whatever. But if you got a chance to win the division, you go for it. If you got a chance mm-hmm. to win the fourth straight division, and I knew the Braves would because they have too much riding on it business wise with. Uh, with the walk-up tickets, they're leading the national, they're leading the majors in home attendance for the season, and you couldn't wave the white flag after the Acuna injury and do nothing at the uh, trade deadline, much less be sellers, because all of a sudden those those walk-up crowds are going to dwindle, and all that business you're doing over at the battery is going to dwindle, and next year's season ticket base is going to dwindle. And I know the Braves are a business, and they run it like a business, and Liberty Media is not that's not what they're going to want to see. So. Uh, uh, beyond the fact that if you have a chance to win the division for a fourth straight year, you do it. So they did it. And, um, um, but I will say they've played better than I thought they would play. I thought they could, I knew it would just take one good run to reel in those guys ahead. Cause the Mets, we've seen the Mets, we've seen the Braves play the Mets and we knew the Mets were not any, by any stretch a great team and the Phillies, same thing. The Braves and the Phillies are pretty evenly matched. So the vision was there for the taking. It's just I didn't really expect the Braves to all of a sudden have everybody clicking offensively a lot like they did last year. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you look at, too, like, you talk about not selling. You know, you look at the, it's not like they had, you know, great parts to sell anyway. And you're right. Gonna, Freddie Freeman is going to be a free agent. What kind of message are you sending? You yeah, know, that was never possible. It was just I mean, Charlie I, I, Morton would have dropped, would have got some interest for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. So agree. Playoffs. I mean, I, I get people talking about it, but it, it was never realistic when you're no, it was never considered hanging in there. Yeah, it was just not going to happen. And and really, Alex seemed to play it perfectly. It was it was not the year unless you could get one of those top controllable, you know, bats or something to really yeah. put chips in. So he just kind of he went out and the guys he gave up. I mean, we were talking about this yesterday. He just he didn't give up anybody that really had a future here. Um, we'll see about the guy they sent to Kansas City, but I mean, we knew what Bryce yeah. Jackson was. We knew Alex Jackson, so he managed to get a lot better without giving anything up. So uh, he definitely played that one perfectly. Yeah, I'm I'm continually amazed at how he manages to make moves that help the team without giving up any of his top ten prospects. The closest they've come would be the uh, what the left hander they sent to the Rangers a couple of years uh, ago, Allen, and yeah. and. And by that point, Allard was no longer an elite prospect. And, you know, he was the guy through low 90s. We knew he was not going to be an ace. So, I mean, when that's the, the biggest thing you've given up, uh, you, you know, you haven't even started to to move like the elite pitchers, like a Muller or, you know, even if you moved like Kyle right now, to me, you still wouldn't be giving up one of your top prospects because I don't think he is that anymore. Even if he still rated that, it's kind of residual. It's kind of a holdover from the previous rankings. Uh, but I think if you traded a Drew Waters or a uh, Pache, uh, that would be 
trade one of your top prospects, but he hasn't done that yet. He has not done that. Maybe in the off season, he does that, but he hasn't done it yet. And, and, and he's managed to, you know, I didn't know if Kim Ang would uh, be willing to trade Duvall back within the division, but I think she was willing to do it. She's a good GM and a good person was able to trade Duvall to a place he wanted to be knowing that he was going to be a free agent if they didn't pick up that option. So, uh, but that was pretty, that was pretty good uh, for her to do that shows that she wasn't really hung up on that whole rivalry thing that people think that the teams hate each other when they really don't. I mean, the players don't hate each other like the fans do for them hitting Acuna. But uh, anyway, uh, the Duvall thing, he's, uh, you know, I, th- I thought he would come over and hit an occasional home run, but he's been a huge for them. I mean, just what he's brought, Freddie talked about from the time he walked in the clubhouse, the infusion of, of positivity he's brought because they love the guy. As Freddie said, we love him. So they bring him back and they see his smile and they know what they know his whole backstory and the diabetes and, you know, playing with an insulin pump attached to his back and what he goes through every day to play, how much it means to him. So that was big getting him and out for Alex to bring him in, not to mention, as as uh, Snit said, to not have to worry about left field, to be able to go. That's my left fielder every day. And it's going to play solid to well above average left field defense. Yeah, I mean, too, like. Solaire, Peterson, Rodriguez, they, they had to get to know everybody. With Duvall, right. it's a pretty seamless transition. Remember, he gets traded. He's in the lineup that night. Yeah. He's back, and, you know, everybody knows him. And he's – I mean, obviously, he had just a monster home run last night. Um, he's made a couple nice throws to home, um, been steady defensively. I mean, he's been everything that they knew he was. So, uh, obviously, a big <clears throat> a big addition there. And I think they would probably be wise to uh, to work out a deal to keep – him and uh you know make just don't let him go again and have to go through this dance again next july yeah uh, you would look really bad uh knowing having having heard all these comments from players about what he's meant to the team and how much they love him i think you'd re- look really bad letting him go again over a really modest salary i mean we're talking about a seven uh million dollar option and the, and especially since the buyout is three million you don't pay $3 million to have a guy like that go away when you can pay him $7 million to play for you, you know? So I think it's a case of you certainly pick up the option and hope he did some mutual option. So, and I think there's a good chance he'll do it because he loves playing here. But you got to think if he hits 30-some home runs, he's going to get some offers that might be better than one year $7 million. You know, the Braves might have to give him a two-year deal. You know, give him two years $15 million, you know, with a little something with a little more security because – if you're in his shoes and somebody offers you two years, 15 million or, you know, two years, 18 million, and the Braves are you know going to pick up your option for 7 million and it's your choice. I don't know, man. I know he loves playing here, but I don't know if you can leave that much on the table when you're at the point of his career, like he has and bounced around a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's possible. They're going to, I mean, it's kind of funny. We're already looking ahead of next, yeah. Yeah. the next year when this team's rolling right now, but they're going to have to kind of reconfigure some stuff in the outfield to figure out, you know, we'll see about Acuna's status and, Obviously, the Ozuna thing is is hanging over everything, but they're they're going to have to kind of figure out what they want to do there. And Duval would give them, you know, something. Well, I'm a surefire solution there to do this. So I, I mean, yeah, it makes a lot of it makes a lot of sense to keep him. And you were talking about the prospects, and Michael Harris is still working his way up. But you would you think he's going to be? He's he's the future, man. Yeah, he's he's incredible. So you've got, I mean, again, Waters, Pache. You know, if you want to if one of those guys becomes kind of trade bait, if even uh, William Contreras became trade bait, we'll see about that. Yeah. Do have If they do decide that they want to move some of these top guys, they do have options to do that. 
Yeah, and the only reason I bring him up and talking about next year is because of what you said, Ozuna. Uh, in my mind, Ozuna is done here. I don't know one way or the other. We talked about this, how they'll have to work it out. I mean, it's not going to be easy. But I think just like uh, they did with Oliveira, uh, they will find a way, whether they have to take on a bad contract, whether they have to give a prospect with him and take on a bad contract or eat some of his salary. I just can't see him playing again here. Maybe I'll be wrong. But I don't think I, I just don't see him playing again here. That that's why I'm looking at uh, you know Duvall and left field and uh, and I think you could do a lot worse than having than picking up Peterson Peterson's options. That's a little bit more dicey. That's ten million and that's kind of pushing it. But I think you could do a lot worse than him and Heredia split in center field if Pache or Drew Waters. If you keep one or both of them, if they're not ready and you or you don't want to roll the dice and hope they're ready. Those two guys, uh, both because ready had to make anything, you know. So the two of them are not going to make that. It's not going to be exorbitant by any stretch. And they're they're a hell of a platoon, man. I know that's not probably the role Peterson wants, but it's the role he's had for the last six years, you know, with the Dodgers, yeah. and then except briefly with the Cubs, uh, and then Acuna. I'm just assuming Acuna will be back, if not the start of the season, then within the first month. And I, but I think he'll be back in spring training. Really, yeah. we'll see. Let's hear from today's sponsors. Wanted to talk a little bit about what we're talking about the Braves in first place now, a game and a half ahead of the Phillies, three and a half against the collapsing Mets because the Mets are messing it up. As you know, people jumped on me when I said the Mets will mess it up eventually. They jumped on me and said, This is different, new owner and all that. Well, bless the owner's heart, but you can't stop the rash of injuries they have each and every year. They've just got some players that cannot stay healthy. And now DeGrom's on there, and you have no idea when DeGrom's going, he's still shut down. You know, going to get a second opinion, all this other stuff. Um, without Degrom, they got no chance, none. Well, they're they're on that thirteen game stretch against the Dodgers and Giants, and they've started at zero and four. Right. So, uh, <laughs> and he's not going to be back during that stretch. We know that. No, he's not. No, he's not. And uh, it, it's not. It does have. It does have the the free fall feel to it. I, yeah. I, it does feel like this is going to come down to Atlanta and Philly, especially again, when you look at the Phillies have played better, you look at the schedule, soft schedule, Phillies. really, I think it's like the, it might be this schedule in the majors. Yeah. And the Braves it, like the fifth easiest. Yeah. So both of these teams are probably going to stack up a lot of wins here in these last like 40 games or so. So unless something, um, I guess that's are out of it, man. Yeah. Miracle Mets 2.0 happens. Um, yeah, it's, They're it's out of it for them. So, um, um yeah. What what worries me about the Braves is they got a relatively easy schedule compared to the gauntlet they just went through. But those West Coast trips, man, we liked them when we saw the schedule because we're like, oh, God, West Coast trips at the end of the year, the weather's going to be unbelievable, all this stuff. Yeah. But for the team's sake, West Coast's never been easy for the Braves. And that's before San Diego got good, you know, and the Dodgers got great. And the Giants got great again. I mean, the Giants were down for, you know, your first years on the beat. The Giants sucked. Well, the Giants are really good again. So you got, you've never, I've never seen their schedule where you take three, the trips to all three of those places in the last like five, six weeks of the season. And that's the case with the Braves this year. So that's going to be kind of a gauntlet. On the other hand, you've also got the Rockies and the dreadful Diamondbacks trips out there. So it kind of evens out a little bit, but. That's that's going to be rough, but the way they're playing right now, the Braves can hang with anybody. But it's still, it's always tough to go in and play Dodger Stadium and to go in and play now with San Diego with the cauldron that their place is now this year. 
with the team mm-hmm. they have. So and with Tatis healthy again. So that's gonna be interesting. And the Phillies just have a really easy schedule the rest of the way. I think the Braves are better than the Phillies. That helps. Yeah, I think they're, they're, they're better. Yeah. Line wise, starting wise, starting pitching wise, mm-hmm. and bullpen. I think every aspect of the team is better than the Phillies right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at this team right now, it's just so complete. We keep talking about how much yeah. lockup is, right? And and the rotation has been good. Yep. And then you look at the bullpen with guys like Matzek throwing the way that they are. I mean, Richard Rodriguez hasn't given up a run in nine games. Um, so, I mean, you – I mean, eventually, you know, some some of these guys will will cool off. I mean, Dansby's like, you know, he's he's on <laughs> another level right now. Eventually, like some of these guys, you assume are, are going to yeah. out a little bit, but just with the way that this team is kind of rolling right now, it does feel like it has in past years, and it's happening at the right time. So, you know, if they can just maintain maintain this for another month, I mean, they're going to win their fourth consecutive division title. For them to keep their heads above water when when they had really – they never had more than like two or three guys going at once. I mean, Acuna was carrying a team for much of the early first half. Riley got hot. Freddie took a long took a month and a half to get hot. And Dansby did nothing in almost the first two months. Nothing. And then it's like everybody got warmed up together and you were thinking these guys might – this guy might have a bad season or this guy might have a bad – they're all right now. And Ozzy, we can't forget Ozzy. He always gets overlooked, but Ozzy's just been terrific, man. Uh, so now you got these guys going at once. That lineup went from being, it's so funny. It was just like three or four weeks ago, three weeks ago when we looked at that lineup. And it was like, after you got past the first five, it was like, if Freed wasn't in there, it was out, 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 out. It was crazy. And how many innings did they start with like two singles? And then it just went K, K, ground out or three strikeouts. It was like they had a dreadful bottom half of the lineup for uh, for a while there. And now you look at that lineup, and it's like just completely different with Darno back in there. Silver Slugger award winner last year, hitting seventh right now. And he looks great, by the way. He's surprised me how good he's looked. Yeah, he, he's looked ready. I mean, since he's come back, it's, it's, like, he, it's like he never yeah. missed games. Oppo yeah. power, uh, easy power. You forget how good a catcher he is, man. You think people are thinking last year was an outlier, maybe a fluky season for him. No, he's he's that good a hitter, and he was before. He's just always hurt, you know, with the with the Rays before that, with the Mets, obviously. Yeah, I mean, you, they just saw how hard it was to replace him. Yeah, they're just going through, you know, veteran after veteran, and Contreras wasn't ready, and it was just, I mean, the the catching spot was was a mess for a long time, but. Yeah, I mean, all their core guys are rolling. Freddie, Ozzy, Dansby. I mean, these, these guys these guys are going, and then you add in you have guys like Duvall and Solaire who are plugged into this yeah. line. Duvall had big games. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no offense. Big games. Yeah, like no offense to Almonte, but uh, I mean, right. you're able to kind of shift him into a bench role, and you're, you're right. able to add these type of guys. I mean, this, this offense just has a totally different feel to it. Um. And Heredia has continued to really be a contributor. I know a lot of people have been howling, probably because they have him on his fan- their fantasy team. They have Peterson on their fantasy team and are wanting him in the lineup every day. But the fact is, Heredia has played really well in that platoon role, and he gives them an infusion of energy every time he's in there. I mean, he's a doubles machine, uh, you know, as long as he's in that platoon role. He's a, he's a solid little player, man. But um, so we were talking about the Mets collapsing. We should save the word collapsing for the Nationals. Because what the Nationals are doing right now, if you're a Nationals fan, it's got to be 
uh, I mean, so humbling to go from the heights they were at just a couple of years ago to where they are right now. Right now, they're as bad as any team in baseball right now. The yeah. World Series champion two years ago. Yeah, we, we've seen them, what, six <laughs> times now? Um, since the, it's, uh, <laughs> they, they did, uh, Braves went five and one and the one game they lost was the Will Smith game. Yeah. Um, right. That's the, that's the only game the Nationals have won in two weeks. Yeah. It, it, they are horrific. Uh, so I was looking around going, you know, it's a good thing I got my ring early. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it, it's, uh, no, it's brutal. Um, going up there. I mean, the Braves were just, um, wow. The, the discrepancy in talent there was yeah. just, uh, it was it was it was just crazy, um, and getting into the stadium was another event. They've got a they've got a lot going on up there. Well, let's not even get into that man, <laughs> that nightmare. And it was, but it, the good thing was for all the, uh, the the places that I had to try to get into the stadium, it was only like 110 degrees, you know, with the heat and humidity index. Yeah. So that was good. DC in August. <laughs> Oh my God. It was so hot. Anytime anybody says hot Atlanta, which I hate anyway, the word, no, you need to be in the Northeast corridor during a heat wave. You want to feel real heat with all the concrete and all that. But that place, that was a, that was a hellhole for that first couple of days. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we were looking at the talent discrepancy, like you said, and there really weren't, if you match them up position by position, other than Juan Soto, there really wasn't a position where you'd say I'd take the Nationals guy over the Braves guy in that series. It was like, oh. you know, I mean, that's a, a Robles. I had such high hopes for him because I think he's so great defensively, but man, he's just a terrible, he's not a good hitter. He can't hit. And he even made a terrible play defensively in that series. So, yeah. um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're collapsing. And we had one of the longtime Nationals writers told us he thought they might lose a hundred games. He was trying to figure it in their head, watching them. Uh, and they're 50 and 68 right now. And he was going through his head about how much, what they'd have to do the rest of the way. And I was like, yeah, they might lose a hundred as bad as they are right now. You yeah. Know? I mean, the future of the NL East, I mean, you look at these next couple of years, they're, they're a ways away. Yes. You're like Miami are. is Miami's trending upwards with all that pitching and get some offense in there yeah. and everything that they are. It feels and they like, got a really good GM. She's going to do. Yeah. Job. Yeah. It feels like they're heading in the right direction, but Washington is probably going to be the doormat for a couple of years. And it's funny because people, when people talked about them trading shirts, or there was a lot of talk about could they just bring him back? And that, uh-huh, right, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Right, yeah, right. People get delusional about their own guys, you know, you know about how much those guys like like being there and how they'll, you know, he'll come back. They love it here. Like, no, he loved winning a World Series there. And yeah. when he was surrounded by a bunch of talent there, you know, but no, that would be, he's staying on the West coast or he's going to a world series contender. If he leaves there for all, for a lot of money, but um, yeah. And for the Braves to go up there, there's their nemesis, Trey Turner, not being on that team. That just made it all the more, I mean, cause Trey Turner always played great against the Braves. So to ha- not have him out there to be, uh, you know, every once every th- time through the lineup, Soto just didn't seem like he seemed a little toothless, you know, compared to the normal Soto. They were striking him out up there. I was shocked. They had a three strikeout game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know how it feels if you're him because you were kind of yeah. spoiled when you came up and you were on these teams. And now it's like, well, I mean, it is being rebuilt around you. Yeah. It, it's, it's going to be a while and he's going to look up. And I mean, gosh, he's so young now. He's going to look up. He's going to be in his prime years and he's going to be. Yeah. He's hoping, you know, hopefully we have something here by then. And he's going to be a free agent before much longer. 
Yeah, there's that too. So <laughs> they got a, a, any chance they had of signing him to an extension. Yeah. With how bad they are now. Can't see it. Cannot see it, man. And if you let a guy like that go, that's one of those that's going to haunt you. Kind of like the Marlins letting Miguel Cabrera go among many uh, Stanton, many others that they've let go, but you're the nationals. You're not supposed to be, you know, the Marlins with the, one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, but, and having to lose guys because of it. Um, so the Braves have won 11 of 13. You mentioned that 30 and 35 start. They were 30, 35 on June 16th. They're 33 and 21 cents. Basically that was a 500 stretch followed by this blazing hot stretch of 11 and 11 and two. So, but when you look at it now on paper, 30 and 35 through June 16th, 33 and 21 cents, it looks like two halves, you know, that's how hot they've been lately. And now it's easy to forget that they went 18 games without, without winning two in a row, which was mind boggling. And they transitioned from that stretch yeah. to where they are now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they could easily be 12 and one in this stretch. Yeah. And for one for the Will Smith blown say, um, before we get to these, uh, these stats, I, what do you, what do you, what do you think about this? Will? it's a touchy situation or a difficult situation because, you know, Snicker looks at it entirely differently than say the fan base does, or some of the media does. And he's going to stick with his guy through hell or high water, unless it's just the bottom collapses. I mean, he said that from the time they got Richard Rodriguez, the day they got it, he said, well, Will Smith's done a hell of a job there. He's one of the best as far as, Looking at save opportunities is what he was doing. And I think he'd only he'd only blown like two saves at that time. You know, Will had. He's blown two or three cents. Or he'd blown three and he's blown two cents. He's blown two cents then. But at the time, he was like 20 of 23 in save ops. So if you just went on that alone, how he pitched in save opportunities, he was fine. But then you looked at his non-save opportunities, which is a lot of your appearances as closer, not going to always be in save. His numbers in those were not good. So his overall numbers are not great. So they get Rich Rodriguez and he had been struggling a little bit in Pittsburgh. So I could understand maybe the reluctance. You're not going to turn it over to a guy that's been struggling some in Pittsburgh, but he's been Richard Rodriguez has really looked good since he got here. How long do you think Snit can go? If you, if, if, uh, if, Austin doesn't make Austin Riley doesn't make that play and that ball gets down to get get down the line. They get a they get a walk off there. Do you think uh I think they would have they, they were up that would that would have been two runs score on that play? Yeah. Do you think Snit, do you think that would have been enough for Snit to change his mind, or do you think he's he's gonna go with this unless it just falls apart completely on Will Smith? Uh, it's it really is tough to say. I mean, you laid it out. You laid it out there well. I mean, Snit is always, you know, he I mean, he's always going to obviously talk about having loyal and everything. That's yeah. that's who he is. But uh, he's really backed Will Smith, and he, he's been. He sometimes he gets a little edgy um, with questions about yeah. Will too. So, so I mean, he's always defended him. Uh, I do think it would, you know, I don't think there's, there would be any harm in trying Rodriguez in certain yeah. spots. Situation calls for it. That's what I thought. Share him yeah. if the matchups are better for him. And especially now that they're winning a lot, you know, you're going to have some op- some chances where on a third straight win, you know, you're not going to go with Will Smith on three straight days. That'd be stupid, you know, because he hasn't done it hardly at all. And he hasn't had good luck when he does. So that would be a chance to do it. But I think it's some other good matchups. You could do it as well. You know, not necessarily on a third straight day. There's nothing. There's no harm. And it's not like you're turning it over to a guy with no state closer experience. This guy was an all-star, right? First half. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And he. 
and, and it's funny too because you mentioned like he was kind of struggling at the end with Pittsburgh there. I think he had like a six seven five ERA in his last like seven or eight yeah. appearances. You would before never, that he was great. Yeah, and, and you would you would never know that here since yeah. he's here he's, he's been the exact same guy that you know he was earlier. In I think he was rejuvenated by it coming over here. That had to be frustrating, you know, pitching knowing you're not going to pitch in a save up, but every four or five days at most, you know, when you're over there. So he got, he looked at this as a second, you know, as a chance, you know, go to a contender and be, and all of a sudden, yeah, he's cranked it up, man. He looks like the guy that was dominant in the first half. Um, here's another touchy subject, Matzik. Cause if you're just from the outside looking in and you're watching Tyler Matzik right now, you're going, why isn't he the closer? The guy's yeah. phenomenal. He's totally dominant right now. He's on as good a stretch as you're going to see a reliever half, um, other than a Kimbrel or or a, or, or, or another uh, Hall of Fame type closer. But Matzik's putting up numbers. You look at the strikeouts to walks. You look at the hits allowed. This stretch he's on, this 14, 15 appearance stretch, scoreless stretch has been pretty remarkable. But let's, uh, you know, you don't want to name the thing in public, but. I think the reason that they're not going to go with Matzik in a closer role, try him in it, frankly, is because this is a guy whose career almost ended by the yips. It got sidetracked for two or three years, and he's openly said it. I had the yips. Most guys don't come back from the yips. There's very few pitchers ever came back from having the yips. I think with Matzik, though, he had, he had a couple of appearances earlier this year. And you had to go, oh, shit, has he got this again? Because he walked some guys, couldn't throw a strike in that one appearance, and it was like, oh, my God, are we seeing this guy melt before our eyes? And I think Snit, and he's probably talked about it with Walt Weiss, you know, who, co- who was his manager in Colorado when he did get the yips years ago. I think Snit's probably conscious of that and doesn't want to add that layer of pressure and take that risk. I mean, if you don't have to, why would you? Because – you could just see how bad he would feel if he stuck him in that closer role after he's pitched so well in this, in this role. And all of a sudden he can't throw strikes. And I know people are going to go, well, if he can't do that, then mentally he shouldn't be. And I went, that's bullshit. This is a guy that went through a mental thing that not many people come back from. And I think you've got to be conscious of that and not go to it unless you have to, you know what I mean? Yeah. We can't let numbers and fantasy sports and all this kind of stuff. I mean, they, these are human beings. Yep. And, yep. and it, it's, it's really, it's remarkable. He is where he is right now. So, and also there's, there's value in, in having a guy that you can put into, you know, absolutely in, a, in the six, seven. I mean, you look at the other day when they were leading the nationals by a run and they had Rodriguez, Matt Zek and Luke yep. Jack back to yep. back to back. And I mean, that's, I mean, there's, I mean, obviously there's a ton of value in that. So, I mean, we do get, obviously we get caught up in the closer role and talking about the ninth inning and everything, but I mean, Matzek has been so good where he is, you know, it would be a risk to kind of move him. And it's funny because the closer role was evolving. It was only a couple of years ago where people were talking about don't even, why even have your best pitcher in the closer role? Because a lot of times the seventh or the eighth inning is the higher leverage or more important inning when the meat of the order's up. Rodriguez has done that a couple of times, gone through the heart of the order. He did it once, I think, in the fifth inning, you know, but but he's done it in the seventh or eighth. So a lot of times those are going to be the tougher. And if you look at it, you know, the manager, you look at your card and you're going, okay, if we get through this, get these guys out, these three guys out. The, the closer is going to face the six, seven, and eight hitters in the ninth inning. So why would I use my best pitcher then? So there's going to be opportunities where the higher leverage or more important inning is earlier one anyway. So 
But that was evolving a couple of years ago. Then all of a sudden, it seems like, you know, at least with a lot of people, a lot of fans, the closer role is so important again. You know, those last three outs are the toughest to get and all that. But uh, I, like we just said on Matzik, I I would be surprised if they go to him, Nick, especially now that you got two closers, two all-star, two guys who've been all-star closers. People forget Will Smith was an all-star with San Francisco. Um, but between him and Rich Rodriguez, I don't think there's any reason you need to go to Matzik in, uh, in, in that. I, I I would not mess with Matzik. He's doing so well in that role, man. God, he's been dominant. Yeah, I mean, really, the, the bullpen has really come together. Yeah. And they're, they're, you know, I, the bullpens are like offensive lines, and, you know, everyone's always quick to point at them. And, and you know, anything yeah. goes wrong. If one thing goes wrong, you know, everyone's – this is a disaster. This group sucks, all that kind of stuff. The way yeah. the Braves group has been rolling, though, I mean, it's, it's really um, – yeah, it's been really impressive. And and adding Rich Rodriguez is more important than it, it, it had. It had a greater impact than maybe just one guy should because it, but it does, and it allows other guys to slip into less, uh, less pressure roles, less lever, lower leverage roles, and they've thrived in those. You know, you're not, you don't have to turn to Luke in the eighth inning now if you don't want to, or Matzik in a, you know, in the eighth inning or seventh. It really has changed things. Adding that one extra arm has been a huge difference. And having the other guys all pitching well, too. Um, I think uh, we talked about this. You and I talked about this. We were of the opinion, I think both of us, that when Ian Anderson comes back, if, say, it's next week, that he could just slip into that Tukey Toussaint role. But after the way Tukey pitched last night, I he's got to pitch again, obviously, next his next start. It makes it more complicated. I think you put – if you bring Moeller back, you can put him in the in the bullpen for sure. You don't put him back in the rotation. I think you could go six starters the rest of the way, but there are weeks where you have off days and that makes it impossible because Snit's not going to want to give guys two extra days rest. So you got to finagle it. But, you know, maybe you piggyback a couple starters one day and get go a whole game where you can rest your bullpen. Something like that, be creative. But you're going to have six starters when Ian get back, gets back, assuming Inoa is normally Noah tonight. You're going to have six good starters, and it's a good problem to have. But I think Mueller is definitely the seventh, and, and, and you don't really think about putting him in the rotation again this year unless somebody gets hurt. Yeah, Mueller, if he comes up in, you know, September and they just they put him in the bullpen, I mean, that, that'll be fine for him. It is a great problem to have, especially when you compare it to how things were a year. Yeah. Um, and then thrust all the rookies in there and cross their fingers and go, okay, this is the biggest game of the year. We're going to turn to Bryce Wilson. You know, yeah, we're going to turn yeah. to Kyle Wright. And they came through to their credit. They came through, but man, that was a tough, they were piecing this thing together last year. And this mm-hmm. year you got this, this rotation is rolling, you know, and those who were saying you move smiley to the bullpen. No, you can't ignore the fact they've won 11 of the guy or 10 or 11 of the last 12 starts, all but one of his last, like, 12 starts or 11 starts, they've won. And he's, like, unbeaten in that stretch. He hasn't had a loss. And the guy may go four or five innings, but he goes, you know, he gives you steady production, and and you cannot take him out of the rotation and put him in a bullpen during the regular season. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That that one's – that yeah, that, that one's a bit of a stretch. I'm not sure what the answer is, but, you know, if Smiley is only going four innings, you're going to need to cover. Yeah, obviously. you can uh, piggyback him. Yeah, so there's going to be especially situations for guys like Mueller to cover multiple innings. I mean, they're, they're going to have those, and if they want to go with if they want to go with a six man for for a while, um, I think that would be a pretty wide that'd be a pretty smart call, especially at this point in the season too. But man, I mean, to, to be adding 
also to be adding Ian Anderson. If I he, know if Ian is who he who he's been, and you know who was pitching like an all star before he got hurt. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> what the old joke that uh, we always make about the trade deadline additions? Uh, yeah. yeah. These are some like late August additions. Chip Carey. Yeah, <laughs> they, they ride Chip Carey for saying that. I wasn't going to say it, it. <laughs> but it's accurate, Chip. It's accurate this time, man. You're right. I agree. Um, yeah, those are huge. Those are huge additions. That uh, and, and Darno. I mean, good luck trying to get a guy trade for a guy like Darno. You know, a catcher who knows all your pitchers and can hit like he does. He surprised me, man. I thought, you know, you can't really count on Darno to come back and hit like he did uh, last year. I was, eh, more like he's going to hit, probably going to hit like he was before he got hurt. But he has totally surprised me because he looks like he did last season. I mean, the opposite field power, the easy power, and he's handling the staff great. I mean, you forget how good he is defensively, you know, and handling a staff. He's really good, man. That's been huge getting him back. And now you can move vote to the role he should have, which is a, uh, playing every four or five days, great defensive catcher, a prototypical backup catcher. Solid. Yep. And it's easy to forget. Like, it is easy to forget that Darno was struggling at the beginning of the year. Yeah, he was t- terrible. <laughs> he looks he looks better right now than he did at about any point uh, yep. in the year. I think he had a couple games that he, he did pretty well right before he got hurt. But, man, yeah, he looks just like last year again. Guys, let's take a quick break, and then we'll finish up the show. We can talk about the rotation, which has been great for about two months now. This rotation has been one of the best in baseball. Um, And the bullpen has turned it around completely. And that's been more than a month now. The bullpen has been one of the best in the NL for about six weeks. But bottom line, this stretch they're in right now has been fueled by these bats coming alive all at once. And they've got guys, they've got the best offensive infield in baseball. And there's no question about that. No question. I mean, you can point to the Dodgers if you want, but I'm talking about one at all four positions taken as a whole because the Dodgers have had some injuries. The Braves have the best hitting infield in baseball right now. And the amazing thing is all four of these guys play every day. And that's huge when you can count on your guys to play every day. You know, when they're not dealing with nagging injuries or, you know, they have to be in a platoon role or whatever pretty big when you could start with knowing those guys are playing every day but listen to these numbers though Ozzy Albies past six games he's hit 393 with four homers 11 RBIs 893 slugging his past 19 games 19 he's hit 284 363 OBP which for Albies I didn't think that was possible six homers 17 RBIs in those 19 games 906 OPS Braves are 14 and five in that period up to that point, he was hitting 259 with an 807 OPS for the season. Good, but you know, 807, but nothing spectacular. Freddie, if you just looked at Freddie's season totals, you would think he didn't even, you would never, uh, you would be like, he started slow because his season totals are right where his career numbers are. It's amazing. The guy's hitting 294 overall with 26 homers, 393 OBP, 503 slugging percentage, 896 OPS. Which, when you look at his career stats, is 295 average, 384 OBP, 509 slugging, 892 OPS. They're almost identical. And then, but you look at what he's done. He was hitting through 31 games, a fifth of the season, basically. 
through May 7th, the guy was hitting 195 with a 326 OBP, 407 slugging, and a 733 OPS. And we're going, you know, Chipper told Chipper told him, hey man, I had a season where I hit 245 or whatever, and Chipper or 240 and 30 home runs. You might just have one of those seasons. It's not this, it's, you, you, you can come back from it. But Freddie was like, it told us at the time, I don't want to have a season where I hit 240 with 30 home runs. And we're like, well, you might have to accept it, dude, because you're not going to, 240 might be good at this point. Freddie knows himself better than we do because, I mean, this guy, we've seen this two years in a row now where he started out and looked like, what in the hell has happened to him? And then he just catches fire. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> his the start to his year was so like it was just so plagued with bad luck too. It, it was like yeah, every, yeah, every ball he was smoking <laughs> was going right at somebody, and he was he was always acknowledging it, and he kept yeah. saying I "feel good" and all this kind of stuff. And and you're right, we were all just kind of like, "Oh, it's just gonna be it's gonna be a down year," and you know, obviously that sucks for him. He's gonna be a free agent. Contracts weighing on him. Yeah, you you, ha- you, you hate to go into the market like this. Yeah. And, no, no, it turns out he's he's back. And, and this yeah. field, uh, this infield really is incredible. And I get, you know, you can debate. I mean, the way it's playing right now, it's absolutely the best. I mean, you can debate the Dodgers and you can debate the, you know, the Padres of Tatis is at short, right. but the power that the Braves have. I mean, right. this, I, I mean, we're seriously talking about, you know, all of these guys are going to have 30 plus home runs if, if they stay. Which is crazy, man. Include, and that includes Dansby, who, yeah, you know, 30 homer. That's power. the most shocking one of all. Yeah. Yeah, this. I, I mean, Austin Riley and Dansby are equally shocking because Austin, we've seen so many times go on a stretch of two or three weeks, followed by like two or three weeks where he just looks lost and he's striking out all the time and they're killing him with, with breaking pitches away. That's just a different guy. He's not that guy anymore. He has learned and 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 grown so much. The two of them have. But Austin, uh, but get back to Freddie. One thing. So it gave you the numbers through 31. In his 87 games since that start, when he hit 195 with a 733 OPS, in the 87 games since then, the dude has hit 328 with 30 extra base hits, 417 OBP, 537 slugging, and a 954 OPS. He's right back in the MVP. I mean, he might not be the favorite, but he's back in the conversation, especially with Tatis going on and off the uh, the IL. Tatis still has 30 homers, which is amazing considering what what he's done. I mean, with the shoulder, how many times he separated and all that. But with Degrom out of the picture, um, uh, what's his name? And since he's hurt now, you know, he was putting mm-hmm. up great numbers. Uh, Winker, not not Castellanos, the other dude. I forget his name all the time. Yeah, Winker's hurt. Yeah, yeah, he's hurt. Um, Freddie's Freddie's right back in the mix, man. You know, and Austin Riley's in the mix, which is, I mean, God, if you'd have told me that, I'd be like, what? Austin Riley MVP mix. But those guys are going to get some. They're in the discussion. There's, there's not a clear front runner unless Tatis plays the rest of the year without getting hurt again, and the Padres, you know, get in the playoffs and he hits 40 home runs. He's going to win MVP. But other than him, you know, and he's so iffy with that shoulder, it's it's kind of wide open that MVP race. It is, and yeah, I would think Tatis is the heavy favorite if he, you know, continues to play. But I mean, even say if you just said if you take him out of it, who else? And there's you know, Bryce Harper. I mean. Yeah, yeah, there's just <laughs> credentials are no better than Freddie's and Riley's. Exactly. Yeah. And you look at like there's obviously those guys having nice years in San Francisco. Um, yeah. The guy, LA. Uh, Buster Posey. 
Yeah, Buster Posey and Crawford's having Crawford. a year. And, but they don't have one clear front runner. That's the thing, you know? That's the thing. Kind of like the Braves. Kind of like the Braves, yeah. It's not a year where one guy's carrying a team. But, uh, yeah, the Giants, we talked about this. The Giants have to be um, – you could talk about the biggest surprise team of the year. You could go either way. To the negative, which uh, might be Lindor with, and the Mets – you know, because they're so they were expected to be so good. And Lindor, I I thought was top ten player in baseball, and he's played. He's been terrible. Um, I thought the Braves should have gone to get him. So is what I know. Um, but I would say the Giants. Early on, I would have said the Red Sox because they were playing incredible. But I would say the Giants have to be. Nobody picked them to finish in the top two in the West. Nobody. They have the best record in the majors. Yeah. So and, and they're not faltering. Everybody keeps waiting for them to, to go. Ah, uh, they're going to lose. You know, eight out of ten here soon. They're not. They're not doing that at all. They're, they've got a great sum of the parts team where it all fits, and they're getting. They're just solid throughout. So it's going to be interesting to see them in person. We'll go out there and see what the atmosphere is like again. You haven't been able to experience San Francisco that ballpark when the team is good because that place is electric when the team is good. I mean, it's a it's the best ballpark in the majors to me. But when it's when the team's good and it's packed, the atmosphere is outstanding, man. So that's cool. That's going to be cool. Yeah, I can't um, wait. Austin Riley. Uh, any questions about whether he's the long-term third baseman have been answered? Nobody's saying that, talking about that shit anymore, which at the first of the year, they were. Plenty of people were like, "Yo, you move him to the outfield." I mean, do you who's going to yet? Do you go get a third baseman in the offseason? He's answered those. And anybody who wants to throw analytics up my face and say he's not a good defensive third baseman, I'm going to say you got to watch the games, man, because this guy is good defensively. Yeah, that's that's what Snitch said the other day. He did, he didn't he didn't want to hear about the metrics or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't yeah. go that far with the dinosaur, you know, with the whole. Yeah. I'll, go with my, I'll go with the eye test, but I really do think in a lot of cases, I love defensive metrics for our metrics period, but defensive metrics have not caught up with the offensive one in that there's not, there's not a lot of holes offensively. I think in metrics, they've got it. They've got it down. You can really tell a lot about a guy's season. You could tell Freddie was having the worst luck of anybody with the hard hit ball rate, the batting average on balls in play, all that. You could tell the analytics are great with that stuff. Defensive metrics leave a lot to be desired to make us uh, while they're really accurate with some players. I'll look at other players and I'll go, that guy's not that good as some guy at the top of the defensive run saved. You know, I'll go, he's not that good where he's like five runs better than everybody else. And then at the same time, some other guy will be below average analytically. And I'll go, he's not a below average guy. Anybody tells me Dansby Swanson is not a good shortstop. Or Austin Riley's not a good third baseman. I'm like, that's that's a faulty analytics that analytic you're looking at because those two guys are good, man. I know there's some errors on some throws from Austin, and that's what brings him down, I think, and the range maybe on a couple of plays. But I, overall, I take his defense anytime. Yeah, I'm with you, and he's he's made some really nice plays. He's getting better. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just like we've seen the way he's grown offensively. I mean, he'll just we you assume he'll keep getting better defensively, and yeah. Another cool thing, like thinking about this infield, I mean, unless you count, because technically Dansby was obviously he was drafted by Arizona, but mm-hmm. it's homegrown. Like it, right. it, it starts yeah. and it's completely homegrown, which you just never see anymore. And you almost think of Dansby as homegrown because they got him and he's still in double A, I think is where he started. Yeah. With the I mean, he still was young and, you know, on, 
he'd only been in with the with the Diamondbacks for like four months, and they traded him. So you know, you know that's not so. Yeah, I, I see. What, you're right. I mean, the other guys were all signed or drafted by the Braves and brought up. So you just don't see that. You're right. And 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 to have the power and the run production that they did from those guys that all come up in the system, um, for a for a team that was really being criticized for a while for not producing position players, you know, now you got Acuna, you got these infielders, Doing you got okay. uh, you got a catchers with Contreras and Langoliers coming up behind him. They're doing all right lately with the position guys for sure. Um, Austin Riley, people forget how slow he started this season because his numbers now are so solid. But through 15 games, seems like an eternity ago, he was hitting 182, 456 OPS. The guy had zero extra base hits and one RBI through 15 games. Zero extra base hits. Doesn't that seem like so long ago? <laughs> and yeah, and even when I, if I remember this correctly, even when he started to really get rolling, he still wasn't getting extra base hits. Remember, it was a yeah. week. He was, there was a lot of singles. Yeah. A lot of singles. <laughs> a lot of singles. You're like, oh man, okay, that's good. You're not, you know, striking out so much, but damn, dude, mix in an extra base hit. <laughs> yeah. Well, since that start, here's what he's done in his last 103 games. Raleigh's hit 305. With a 381 OBP, which I would have told you, 381 OBP from Austin Riley, that ain't happening. 566 slugging, 947 OPS for 103 games. And a guy who had no extra base hits and one RBI in his first 15 games, 48 extra base hits and 71 RBIs in his last 103 games, including 25 home runs. Yeah, I think that's your long-term answer. <laughs> third base yeah uh, and, and two like i mean the what we're seeing out of him now you kind of first yeah i agree that he's bet he's better now than i thought he he could be it's just far as a plate discipline standpoint just all yeah. around, um he has the look of a guy right he's gonna he's gonna have multiple all-star appearances in his career if this is the type of player that and he's going to be able to sustain what he's been showing this year he could be a 35 40 home run guy consistent i think yeah which just oh my god just uh, again up and down these guys are and and they're you know i mean dansby he's entering arbitration for the you know for the last time this winter and you assume that they're going to re-sign freddie but i mean these guys are with this team for a long time dansby's one man they should have done this you know they probably should have taken a gamble if they were if they were confident that he was going to keep improving it would have been a lot cheaper a year ago because now with the numbers he's had putting up and this close to our, this close to free agency. Now you're in that territory where you got to make it worth the while for the guy or the guy might just go, it's not that big a gamble anymore. Cause before players like Ozzy traded away a lot of potential earnings for that security in case they got hurt. Well, Dansby's gone year to year now. He's only a year away from free agency. So you got to make it worth his while for him to take, if you're going to buy out his free agency years, you got to make it worth his while now. It's not going to come cheap with nope. the season he's having. You took that risk. You took that gamble and thought, I want to see him have a whole year. And it's going to kind of backfire, I think, because I know he wants to stay here. And if all things are you know equal, he's going to stay here. But they're going to have to make him a good offer to, to have him sign before free agency. A real yeah, really offer. worked out. No, it really worked out for him. For um, him, for sure. So much higher now than it's about 
than it's ever been, except for, I guess, when he was, you know, four months from being the number one pick. But yeah, he's going to, yeah, he's going to do very well. When he came up as a rookie for for two months, he had really good numbers. But his value has never been that high since then until now. But his overall slash line, Dansby, it still doesn't look, nothing special right now. It's good. It's real good, but not great. 265, 371 OBP, 496 slugging, 813 OPS. For a shortstop, damn good, but not great. But in the last couple of months, this guy's been the best hitting shortstop outside of Southern California. If you look at his numbers, he was hitting 189 with a 582 OPS at the end of April. And some of us, I was thinking, this is not a guy. I'm, and I actually tweeted, he's not playing like a guy you build around, you know? Now I feel like an idiot, but but he wasn't. You know, it was looking like the Braves had been smart not to sign him to a long-term extension. Through 71 games, June 21st doubleheader against the Mets at City Field. He was hitting 232, 11 homers, 284 OBP, and a 712 OPS. That's that's half the se- almost half the season. 712 OPS. And you're thinking, okay. Love Dansby, good guy, good teammate, but you can do better than 712 OPS from your shortstop in these day and age and a, and a 284 OBP. Well, oh, and he had 79 strikeouts with 17 walks in 283 plate appearances at that point. You're know, thinking for a guy that doesn't hit for a ton of power, that's, that's, that's unacceptable. You can't deal with that many strikeouts. Okay, but now look at it. Since June 22nd, in 48 games, and he's played every day, by the way, the whole season and last year. He's played every day. I think started every game, in fact. Started. But uh, since June 22nd, 48 games, he has hit 311 with a 362 OBP, 27 extra base hits, including 13 bombs, 42 RBIs, 585 slugging, 947 OPS. A 947 OPS in 48 games for Dan Swanson. And from a shortstop, playing really strong D. Yeah, he's that. That's the thing is like if you look at just the total package, if he's going to be, I mean, if if he's going to be a plus offensively now, um, the speed on the base paths, the defense, the yeah, energy, yeah. I mean, just he. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the speed and the hustle. You don't even get. Yeah, he's going to get a nice deal. And this is a guy. You, you. I mean, you read out his early season stats. People were wanting him replaced with Orlando Arcia. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would. I, I mean, I forgot about that. You're right. That's not exaggerating. <laughs> they did. So that that kind of shows, I guess, how far it's <laughs> come, and that that kind of shows just how much can change with the emotions of fans throughout a baseball season. <laughs> Orlando Arcia, what's he doing down there? What what he's hitting like 300 at Gwinnett. You got Dansby up here <laughs> striking out every other bat. <laughs> Yeah, um, but and, and speaking of strikeouts, nothing about Dansby's stats has been more shocking to me than the strikeouts. This is a guy that went from third most strikeouts in the NL for half the season. He was only behind Baez and Winker. Those were the only guys striking out more than him. He was he was on pace to strike out like 180, 190 times. Right. Well, look at what he's done. In his past 19 games, he's hit 390, 
Seven homers, 25 RBIs, 714 slugging, and an 1136 OPS. Last 19 games. He's had eight strikeouts in 83 plate appearances in that stretch. Okay? And it gets better. The guy that was third highest strikeout total in the NL for the first half of the season or more, first four months of the season, really, flirting with a record total for a brace shortstop. He's got zero strikeouts in his last seven games. Do you realize that? He has not struck out in seven games. I didn't realize that, no. <laughs> and during those seven games, he's hit 414, four homers, 13 RBIs, and a 1265 OPS with zero strikeouts. How do you do that? How do you go from striking out at that rate to striking out none? <laughs> I, I know it's Bobby remarkable. Magalinas, man. Bobby Magalinas is doing wonders with this dude. No, it's remarkable, um, and it's a testament to him, you know, to be able to improve and make that big of a difference over the course of a season. Again, it's just – and and it shows that's – you know, those are the kind of guys that you want to pay, right? Those are the kind of guys that you want to commit to. Yeah. You don't have to worry about them. You know they're going to be great teammates. You know they're going to represent the the team well. you got to be great – got to be a good player on top before anything else. But when you have all those intangibles that he brings, you know – and, and we saw him last night, beats out, it was a 12-2 game, and he beats out that infield single, you know? And he immediately knew, too, he's going, check it, check it. I'm, I want that damn single. And that's twice on this trip that he's done that, that he's beat out an infield single. The other day of the game in Washington, he was hustling his ass off, and helmet went flying. He caught that one hand, and with the other hand, he's going, safe. Or he's, no, he's pumping his fist because he saw the umpire rule safe. So that's twice on the, uh, that he's got two hits on this, that if he's not hustling, Balls out out of the box. He doesn't get either of those hits. He looks like a guy who went number one overall. Yeah. Just a well-rounded skill set. It's like, okay, I get it. This, this is why he went number one. Yeah. But even in college, yeah, you looked at him, you're like, okay, he doesn't do anything unbelievably well. He doesn't hit for a ton of power. He doesn't hit 400. But he did everything really well. I mean, he did everything well. And you thought, I thought, you know, the, the, the ceiling for this guy is he's going to be uh, franchise cornerstone type player hit maybe 280 to 290 and have like a mid 300s OBP with 20 to 25 homers. Maybe that's what he's going to be, but he's going to play solid D great teammate, great, great intangibles, all that guy you'd have for 10 years, you know, not make a huge salary that's changed. I mean, you know, and he's done it without like bulking up or anything. Cause he's not slowed down. He's still, you look at him, he looks like a guy, normal guy, you know, I mean, if a normal guy being a movie star, I mean, but as far as size, as far as size wise though, it's like a normal dude, you know, nothing about him is like, and then he takes off running. And you're like, this dude can fly. And he's like chipper was young chipper with the base running, even old chipper when he couldn't really run anymore was still a great base runner, but young chipper could blaze on the bases and he great lines and great instincts, great jumps. He's really instinctive base runner like young Chipper. Hayward was a great base runner. Freddie's a great base runner. For you know, people forget how much Freddie can actually run still. But but Dansby's a great base runner, man. No, he's got uh, that's the thing is he, again the well-rounded skill set. You know, when he takes that into negotiations, yeah. there's there's a lot of ways that he impacts the game. They're, they're yeah. just, just a, the way he's playing right now. I mean, he's kind of he's, it's the definition of a winning player. Yeah, it's going to be a tough case for him. I don't know what they're going to do. I think you've got to make your best shot. you got to take your best shot at him now or right after the season. But you can't wait till next year. 
when he's in his final year before free agency. You've got to do it before next year. You got to make him a great offer or a good offer that's going to persuade him to not go to free agency, you know? And I, I, you know, you know how much he, he's built around Atlanta. He's Atlanta guy. He's got his, all his side projects, you know, with his clothing and all that Atlanta stuff. So I know all things being equal, he wants to stay here, but uh, man, if some team makes him a huge offer or he, or he, his agent tells you, if we take this season and you do another one, something like this, we go to free agency. Here's what we can make. Yeah. Pay- it's tough stuff with the collective bargaining agreements. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. All, yeah, all that's up in the air. But paying Freddie, paying Dansby, if you're, if you're going to sign Freed or whatever, whatever you're going to do there. I mean, when you have Ozzy and Acuna on the contracts they're on, this really is, helps, doesn't it? Yeah, this is where it comes into play. Yeah, really. I mean, they're getting they got two guys so under market with those two guys that I think you can afford to do Freeman and Dansby. And still not have an exorbitant payroll by any stretch. I mean, you're you're you don't have that much on the books for next year. Freed, you don't have you, you, you gotta you gotta make a decision on him for long, but you could still wait on guys like Ian. You know, you could do it now with Ian and, and really save yourself some money if you're smart. Waskar, you know, same thing. They're so far from you know, from from free agency, you could do it now. But like Soroka, unfortunately for him, I mean, that's not you don't you don't, you know, that's you're not gonna make any kind of long-term thing with him. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But uh, Dansby certainly made throwing a whole different curve into this thing with the, his performance this year. You look at him in a different light, man. You just look at him in a different light. He's he's coming into full bloom and then some of what we thought he could be as a player. And the same thing with Riley. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it really does change. It's going to look so different looking at this team this winter, regardless of how this year plays yeah. out. It's the foundation and what they have here compared to a year ago. Yeah. Good position. They're in a good position, man. And you got like that, you know, the, the early on, the, 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 you said, a lot of people said, you know, you sell regardless because you're not going to get the postseason and do anything. Well, I've already said, I've always said, postseason is crapshoot. I don't mean, I mean, we've seen the wild card win the World Series multiple times, you know? Anything can happen in a short series. And if you've got three good starting pitchers and you got a lineup that's going like this team, anything can happen, man. I mean, we saw this team was up 3-1 on the Dodgers in the NLCS, and the Dodgers went on to win the World Series. And Jock Peterson comes over to the Braves and said, Braves were dominating us in that series. They had the thing. So Jock knew how good they could be. If you get on a roll and you go into the postseason – there is no reason why this team, the Brewers would be a tough draw in a first, that, they're a tough draw. I, if I'm the Braves, I'd rather have, I don't know, I, I don't want to say I'd rather have the Dodgers, but because the, the Dodgers with that starting pitching. But the Brewers are a tough team, man. They, they are. We just, The Braves just, they lost two out of three to them that, the weekend of the trade deadline, actually. But they did, they, play, they played them tight. They played them tight. And they hit Woodruff and, uh, and Burns yeah. as well. They're two best guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, you're right. Well, it's going to be interesting. It's certainly a whole different team to talk about things to talk about than it was a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, man. It's uh we were all like, Jesus Christ, how long is this season going to last? <laughs> the vibe's a little bit different. Now we're going, uh, they're going to be. Who would they get in the first round? If they... <laughs> and man, you know, you know who I feel good for because he, t- he gets shit on so much, man. His snit. I know people are going to say you're being a homer. Or you're sucking up the snit. I'm not sucking up the snit. He's not going to listen to this podcast. But Snip gets so unfairly shit upon, and people don't 
don't appreciate what he does because people out say, if you ask anybody in a clubhouse, anybody on a team, any a scout, any if you ask anybody, what's the most important part of a manager? It's not who they, it's not bullpen moves. It's managing people. It's managing a clubhouse for six months, plus spring training, plus the postseason. That's why Bobby Cox was so good managing a clubhouse. And you might make moves that leave you scratching your head. He's made something that left us scratching our head with a bullpen. I mean, I don't agree with all his bullpen moves. And I would have had Will Smith. I would have used Rich Rodriguez in that closer role. I would have. I'm not going to lie. So, but on balance, I so appreciate what he does because he handles people. And that's so much harder to do than make the right bullpen move. You got a bench coach that can help you with that and a pitching coach. And if those guys aren't objecting and saying, Snit, we really need to use this guy now, or we need to go out and talk to the closer now. If they're not doing that, those are seasoned pros. I mean, Walt Weiss has been around. He played, he managed. If those guys aren't, I'm good with that then, you know, but the managing a clubhouse, Snit is about as good as anybody in the game today at managing a clubhouse. And that's the most important part of being a manager. He's managed, he's managed a 97 win team. He's managed a team that was one win from the World Series a year ago. You could argue this year has been his best yep. managerial job just from the sense of keeping everyone together because, yep. I mean, they're falling apart. That, yeah, that, there were some really tough days for him. I'm sure sometimes when he's looking at the lineup card or, you know, it's another loss and he's just looking at this. And it's, Are they in New York and they get news about Azuna? You know, I mean, yeah. this thing could have gone off the rails so many times. Yeah, it was not. I'm, when his, Acuna gets hurt, to hold it together. The guy's going to the all-star break after Cunha gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to it, hold it together, man. I mean, he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, you know, Freddie has always talked is always talking about how all the players are, but I mean, you're yeah. talking about Freddie, spokesperson of your team, and and what he's talked about, how Snit has handled them and kept them through everything. I, I mean, he can't, he really I mean, again, I, I know people roll their eyes at this stuff. I really don't think that he can get enough credit for just the intangibles and just how he's managed to keep this team together. And I don't know really how much more evidence you need either, because again, uh, if they win, this will be four consecutive division titles, even if they, yeah. um, well, the fact that they're where they are right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, I mean, let's, 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 let's be honest here. A lot of it is just colored by people who have a misper- total misperception that Snit somehow doesn't like Acuna or that they're not, which could not be further from the truth. He loves the guy like a son. Literally. He loves the guy. This is a guy that was in tears after they threw at Acuna and he ran out on the field and wanted to, the, Snit wanted to fight the dude that hit him, the Marlins, the, the first time, you know, when he hit him, he wanted to fight him. He had to be held back. It's a guy that was crying after the game, you know, about Acuna, you know? So, and that's the same thing as the, the irony being, they thought Freddie Freeman and like BMAC were on Acuna unfairly. Those guys were like treating him. He was like a little brother to them. They were, they were those guys, the people that they think he has a problem with are the, are the people that probably like Acuna more than anybody in the, everybody loves Acuna, but those guys right there, uh, Freddie and, and Snit. And BMAC, when he was here, they love Acuna, man. They were coming to his defense. But Snit, really, I mean, I don't know what you can tell the people to get him to convince them. Does he, does he, it would, is it, does his style, is it different than what Snit would, you know, 
would would probably uh, uh, recommend. Yeah, but Snit long ago accepted that the game has changed. And to his credit, he's an old school guy that allows these guys to show their personality, whether it's clothing, accessories, gold chains, hair, whatever. He doesn't have any rules about that stuff. And he's, you know, the Brace organization has changed a lot under him in that regard. Bobby wouldn't have put up with a lot of the shit that uh, Snit puts up with. And Snit uh, gets, you, you can't, but you can't, there's certain things like, you know, misjudging a, f- a fly ball that hits the wall and you get it turns into a single that hurts the team. So he's going to have to, you're going to have to call guys out on that, but it doesn't mean you don't like the guy, you know, or if he, if he pimps a home run or he has a little dance or whatever, and he, and you make, you know, roll your eyes at it. It doesn't mean you don't like the guy and he's, and he's more than happy to let guys do that shit. You know, it's part of the game. We've all accepted it. A lot of us have accepted things that maybe we didn't like a few years ago. Yeah. It's, no it's different. It's, it's definitely changed. different. And since so adapted. And look at the way that LaRusa had. You know, I mean, it could be, yeah, right? could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> so I I mean, again, the way that Snit has has let these guys, you know, be themselves, and he's not sitting here, you know, attacking his own players and and all that, you know, crazy old school stuff. One thing when he said about Acuna, that people took that the wrong way. The, the people took that when he said you can't do stupid things like that. And he was asked directly about that play. And he, I'm yeah. sure in retrospect, he would have worded it. It was 20 minutes after it happened. He was still fine. He was still angry about the whole game, upset. And I'm sure he would have probably said it differently. But it looked like he was singling out Acuna. Cause it, but he was asked about that specific play. And that's important context that you mentioned, that it was, it was like 15 or 20 minutes yeah. after. If we had gotten him an hour later, yeah. probably a different. Would not have said stupid. You can't do stupid things like that. But Bo asked him about that specific play in the ninth inning. And he said, yeah, because he was talking about you can't do stupid things in general. He was speaking generally of the game because they make a couple other mistakes in that game. And then Bo asked him specifically about Acuna because it was in the ninth inning. It was the last mistake of the game. And Snit said, yeah, he was basically saying, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Stupid things like that. And it came across as him attacking Acuna going, you can't be stupid. you know." And we were sitting there going, oh, this is going to come across the wrong way. And it did. But that's yeah. eh, just social media in this day and age. It's, but but people really, you can and I, and and Eric Flaherty has tried to say the same thing on here. People could not have a, a worse or more of a misconception about Snit and his attitude towards players and how much he loves guys than than when they start calling him. I mean, I don't even want to. I don't even want to uh, honor it by mentioning the people that say like racist. I'm like, are you are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, that is the farthest thing from the app uh, that ridiculous about Snifker. But when I when you hear shit like that, you just go, man, you can't say that. This dude is this guy's a prince, man, in dealing with people. Does it a lot better than I would. Yeah, yeah. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, we're going to lose the skin and uh, we'll have Gabe on again before long. And maybe we'll have Gabe come on when we get uh, Eric back and we can all do this again. But should be a lot more great stuff to talk about between now and the end of the season. I mean, these guys are approaching some historic stuff. It seems like we're writing about a new franchise record every day now. These guys are really in some rarefied air with the home runs and, the, and the, you know, and the whole infield as a group and all that. It's going to be fun to watch. And then it's going to be fun to watch Noah tonight. Yeah, and, and it's fun to also write about a team that isn't alternating wins and losses. Oh, God. That's like, oh, well, so old, man. 
and worrying about, you know, okay, well, here they did this. Okay, now what are the Mets doing tonight? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting close to the point that it's like the Nationals and Marlins. You're, you're not really looking at what the Mets Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have anybody getting up and jumping on my ass now when I say the Mets are going to mess it up like they always do. Because they always do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. 755 is real. We're out. Thanks, Gabe. Yes, sir. Thank you.